Welcome to the Canicuck Institute podcast, where we continue to equip leaders with biblical skills for a lifetime of ministry. And welcome back into the Canicuck Institute podcast. Uh, with me, as always, is the president of the Institute, Mr. Keith Chancy. And we have a special guest today, Keith, with us. I- introduce who we've got in studio. Oh, boy, today. we've got the pastor of Denton Bible Church, Tom Nelson. And I promise you right now, you guys are in for a treat because I love this man, have been around him for you know over 20 years plus. I've watched him teach around the world, and his ability to handle accurately the word of truth is amazing. So today, we're in for a real treat. Will you give it up for Tom Nelson? Good to be here. How can I help you? Let me know. <laughs> so Tom, uh, you've been here with the KI students this week, teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. Yes. I think most of our alumni, you've been here almost all 20 years. You know, just about about three years, I think I missed there in right in um, the mid-2000s. But yeah, I've been here. I've watched them all come up. So I think some of our students probably know this, but may- maybe just for backstory a little bit, would you mind just telling everybody your journey to faith um, and and how you got to where you're at today? Right. I was um, from Waco, and I grew up in a nice little Methodist church, um, liberal though it was, but it was nice and ordered. And uh, very early on, I knew that I wanted my life to do something when I was dead. I just didn't know how to do it. So I figured I could have to get famous, kind of like Roy Hobbs, you know, the natural. I'd be the best you ever seen. And so I was pretty good in baseball, but my, for some reason, my love was football, I guess, because it was kind of the rite of passage. And so I was, I worked continually at that skill as a quarterback, had a minimum of ability, but just worked it and worked it and worked it until I got a scholarship to the University of North Texas my senior year. And between the time I was 18 and 22, God destroyed me, Mm. basically. He had plans for my life, and that plan did not include me at the wheel of my life, and so he destroyed it. And so I ended up injured, got across my quarterback coach, and basically got out of my house and found out that uh, I was a child, that I didn't have any maturity. Once I got away from mama, that I was doing what every other college kid was doing. I was just a slave to sin. And when I think back on it, I never stopped to repent. I never stopped to pray. I never feared death. I never feared crossing the double line. I put myself in so many positions where I could have died and gone to hell, and the, the fear of God never came in. So when I read in Romans about there is no fear of God before their eyes, I mean, that's me. I was just a real nice kid that happened to be a fool. And uh, my junior year, a navigator came into my room and talked to my roommate about the gospel. And I heard over his shoulder. And he asked my roommate if he was going to heaven. He said, yes. He said, what are you? Are you a Baptist? Are you a Methodist? Are you a, are you a Hindu? Are you a Muslim? He said, I'm a Christian. And he asked him the question. He said, and what is a Christian? And my roommate gave him the answer that I would have given. I said, a Christian is somebody that keeps the Ten Commandments. And I said, yeah, good job, Rex. That was his name. And the guy just looked at him. He said, you think a Christian is somebody that keeps the Ten Commandments? Now, he could have said to Rex, my roommate, name him, and Rex would have been in trouble. Or he could have said, um, find him. In a Bible, he'd have been in trouble. But he said this to him. He said, you keep him? And it, the, the, it was silent. Somehow, the idea that he would say, yes, 
was offensive even to him. And I sat silent too. And he was, I was just listening over his shoulder. And he said, he said something that after he said it, I was never the same. He said, Rex, the Ten Commandments weren't given for us primarily to live by, but show us that we couldn't live by them, that we were guilty. And that's why after the Ten Commandments, you have the book of Leviticus with sacrifice. Someone has to die. And the Jews had the uh, Yom Kippur, the, the Day of Atonement, because somebody had to die. And uh, uh, the Passover, somebody had to die for them to get out of Egypt. And he said that. He said the Ten Commandments were to show us our sin, to lead us to Christ. And it's like the entire universe was bathed in light. I now saw it. But I didn't do it. Because I knew that I couldn't have me in that front seat and Christ in that front seat. Asking Jesus into my life was no problem. That was like having a new genie, all right? But I knew that I had to go on the cross. I had to die. That that guy, Jerry Cook, that navigator, made that clear. The both of you cannot run this thing. You've got to step down. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. And I didn't want to do that until about a month later, long story short, God just broke me down. And now I didn't want my life. I didn't like my life. I didn't desire my life. Nothing was a greater joy to me than to mount a cross and be done with it. And I did. And I was like C.S. Lewis's book, Surprised by Joy. I was surprised. There was joy. The Bible opened up to me. I have never recovered from the Bible. The fact that God has made it known the eternal mind and his purpose in history, and he has done it in a way that I can study and know in language. That has amazed me. And so I began to pray. I began to trust God. I wasn't sinless, but I sinned, and I, and I felt worse. I now wasn't just skirting around a rule. It was a person I offended. And, uh, and then God broke me up from my girlfriend. We were heading different directions. And then he let me, I tried out for my fifth year at North Texas when we got Hayden Fry, and he cut me because I was a fifth-year senior. So I was out of football. I was out of a girlfriend. Uh, I knew I didn't want to go into coaching. Um, Number one, I probably wouldn't have been any good. But number two, that just wasn't my heart, and I didn't know what it was until, as a student teacher at Louisville High School, I began to speak to FCA groups, and I found out this is what I want to do, is to go out free of charge and just get someone to listen and tell them the story of redemption. Mm -hmm. And it was like Jesus said, I write these things that your joy may be made full. My joy was full. If I get a time that I can share the gospel once a day with a convenience store worker, it's like my day is made. I've done something that is eternal is putting that word in people. So that became my joy, was to study and to walk with and to proclaim Jesus Christ. And I married a girl that had the same ideas, and we had kids that on a good day, somewhat to a degree, come of kind to have the same <laughs> ideas. And we have grandkids that have come to know the Lord. And so that, and my friends, I got new sets of friends. And so, you know, just the, the joy and the delight of knowing and walking with God. Tommy, you know, you you have just given us a great picture of what salvation looks like, and thank you for sharing that through your life. You you mentioned something at the very, very beginning. You said, you know what, I missed coming to the Institute for a couple of years, 
And I remember that time in your life because the reason you weren't able to come, because God wasn't through refining you yet. You went through a really difficult time. Yep. I had gotten a schedule that was ridiculous. Mm. And I did it willingly because I loved it. Yep. And it's possible to burn yourself, do, burn yourself out doing what you love. I didn't think you could. But I would teach um, three times on Sunday. And then Monday at 6, I would teach again, the Young Guns group. And then uh, on Tuesday at 5.30, I'd teach them again. Then I'd go do a 200-man study in Louisville at 7. Then I'd teach them again Wednesday morning at 6. Then I'd go do a 200-man study at Denton Bible. And then Thursday at 6, I would teach my staff. And then Friday, I would teach Young Guns again. And then I would do a faculty study. And then I would leave sometime Sunday a lot of, or Saturday, and I would head off to do another Song of Solomon conference, speak six times, come back, start Sunday, and do it all over again. And I did that continually for, gosh, for from the 90s on into 2000 and about six. And I just literally ran out of gas. Um, I just hit a wall that I physically had no strength in me. And then soon the physical no strength kind of evolved into a spiritual depression and anxiety. And I just remember sitting there and saying to myself, danged if I have not got depression and anxiety. Mm. And I just sat there and said, so this is what it's like. I had wandered into somebody else's life. And, you know, if you'd have said to me, look, we're going to get this rid of you and you're going to be back to work, but we got to take off your leg. I'd have said, take it. Because as I was, there was no hope. I was so sidelined. And then uh, slowly and surely, some people came into my life that had some good advice and I came through it and survived it. And grew through it. Before that, I was the Song of Solomon guy. I was the sex guy. Now I'm the depression guy. Somehow it's like the story of my life. And so I was able to write a book on it, to speak on it, and to help a lot of people. And in the American culture, we manufacture anxiety like uh, the common cold. And so if I go to a church and just speak about having it, somebody's going to grab me afterwards and said, can we talk? Tommy, you know, you said something very important to all of us as a listening audience out there, because I guarantee you there's a, a lot out there going, we're going through some depression, depression, some anxiety. Tommy, can you give us maybe three helpful hints of how you came through that? One thing I did was I shut down my schedule and I started protecting my mornings and protecting my evenings. If I scheduled something, uh, I would schedule it just maybe one a day. And I began to go back teaching slow and sure. Now I teach um, oh, a Bible study on Thursday. I teach uh, my staff on Thursday, the Young Guns group on Thursday, and a group called the Gap Kids on Wednesday. So I still teach about four times during the week, but that's a lot far cry from what else. I was teaching 13 times a week. And, um, and also I make sure that every day I go have fun, and every day I spend time reading and just enjoying my reading, and I protect my nights. I protect my nights. Um, I just have had to learn how to rest. Like God said to Elijah, you know, eat, sleep, the journey is too great for you. Mm. And I had to learn how just to mm. kick back. And I went and spoke at Dallas Seminary about the same thing. 
I had about two rows of guys 10 deep wanting to talk. Yeah. Pastors are terrible about this. Christian workers are terrible because we do what we do because we love what we do. And we think if I can do more of it, it'll be better. Mm-hmm. And you got to be careful about your output exceeding your intake mm-hmm. and your upkeep, upkeep comes your downfall. You know, Tom, you, I've known you for a long time. And one of the things that you really emphasized in my life as a young man is you emphasize the value of prayer. And you, I mean, I, I would see you just say, hey, I got to leave. And you'd grab your little notebook and off you'd yep. go and you'd say, I'm going to a tree. Yes. I would go out into a parking lot and be in the back of my Bronco and uh, lean on the steering wheel yep. and pray. And so every day, uh, if at all possible, me and God get away. And I write down, I've got you in my book, Karen in my book. I've got Cameron and Callie and everybody and now little, little Gracie. What's her mm-hmm. name? Chancy Grace. Chancy Grace. I got a little her in my book. I got the Institute in my book. I've got Joe White in my book. I've got everybody in my book that I pray for. And so just through the years, I'll come back to them and pray for those people. And that became the lifeline of my life was the Bible and prayer that just carried me on through it. And eating a lot of Rocky Road ice cream. Yeah, you do that well. Lifting weights every day, <laughs> taking a jog every day, and watching uh, Andy Griffith. You know, Tommy, one of the things that I really, I really appreciate you saying because you talked about when you went through your depression that um, that is a spiritual problem. But you said you also sometimes do need to take some medication. That's okay. Yep, and I did. And you know, I um, I didn't know what to do with how I felt until my wife went to our internist, to Manny Desai, and said he's feeling this. And Manny went to a friend of his that, believe it or not, was a Hindu psychiatrist from India. And he gave him my symptoms. And the fellow looked at Manny and he said, he's garden variety. He said, I talked to him seven times a day. He said, I'll tell you who he is. And he just told who I was just by the profile. He said, this is who he is. And Manny said, that's him. He said, he has depleted himself of serotonin that lets your brain be serene and work together. And he's depleted because he's running on pure adrenaline. And it curtails serotonin, and he's dried out. He's like an engine that has run out of oil, and he's seized up. He said, you tell him to take uh, an SSRI, a serotonin-specific reuptake inhibitor. It's called Lexapro. And he said, "Nothing's gonna, he's not going to feel anything for about four weeks as it's slowly and surely going to build back his serotonin. And then the clouds are going to lift. And he says he needs to get his sleep because I was not able to sleep. Mm-hmm. He said, the easiest thing science can do is to make somebody sleep. He said, we can make an elephant sleep. (laughs) So he said, have him take this. It was called lorazepam, and it'll let him get a very relaxed sleep. Don't worry about getting addicted. Don't worry about getting dependent. You're not. Just take it. Mm. And so at that point, I would have taken anything they told me. If they had said, take buzzard, whatever, I would have took it. And so I took a little tablet, and it looked like an Excedrin. And... uh, about four weeks later, I was sitting at a table with my wife. We were reading together. And I just looked at her and I said, I'm me. Mm. She said, what do you mean? I said, it just lifted. Mm. Like driving in the fog when all of a sudden the sun burns through and the fog lifts. Mm. All of a sudden, it lifted. And it was just all the only word I could explain is the word delicious. And I just sat there. You don't realize how marvelous it is simply to have an absence of pain, Mm -hmm. just to feel normal. And so I just sat there in the enjoyment. And I felt like I was like a cell phone that had hit the cell tower. I didn't want to move. Mm -hmm. 
and lose my connection. But slowly and surely, it would go away, then come away, come back again. And then it was like jumping off a car. And I was back to where I was. And I got in trouble about five times because I wanted to get off. All men want to get off of medicine. So I tried to get off of it. And my doctor said to me, he said, uh, about 37% of the people that need to get on an SSRI, be it Lexapro or be it uh, uh, Zoloft or whatever, he said about 37% need to stay on it. And so I found out I was one of those. So for a mere minimal, you know, generic, you can get it for a very simple amount of money. And so I just take it like an aspirin. And I don't know what it does, but I'm me. Tommy, you uh, you have come through a lot through all this time of anxiety, depression. You know, watching you be a man of prayer, going to the Word, learning how to balance your schedule, and and learning how to even take medications. I noticed during this time that you also, I mean, you and I, I mean, we were in Denton Bible. We would run uh, a year, about 1,500 miles yep. a year. I mean, we were running all the time. And you've had to slow down because that you, yep. know, you weren't able to keep that pace anymore. And I remember you going, I hate that I can't do that. But the thing that I've been so impressed with you is that it wasn't that you quit working out, but you modified it to where you're at. Yeah, I got to where I, I could. Uh, I'd always go to the gym and lift. And one of the best things you can do for anxiety is, is physical exercise and to get your sleep and then to cut back on stuff that is abnormal stressors, which is hard to do in America. But um, I got to where if I couldn't run, then I would go walk. Mm. And so I would walk for an hour a day and just enjoy it. I would get some of those uh, deals you plug in your ears and you punch a deal and there's music and stuff. I forget what you call it. But uh, is that an iPhone, iPad? (laughs) Earbuds. uh, IHOP, I forget. (laughs) Yeah. And so I'd put it on and listen to, you know, uh, 60s music and listen to gospel music. And just walk and enjoy. And I got to where I could enjoy a walk, mm-hmm. you know. But, yeah, I had to change my schedule. Yeah, you did. That's good. Tom, th- thank you for taking the time. And um, for, for our alumni, you know, they're out there. They're doing ministry. They're probably facing a lot of the things you were just talking about. One alumni just mentioned Tom's book, a great resource, uh, Walking on Water When You Feel Like You're Drowning. Great yeah. resource. Me and another Kennecott guy wrote it. Yeah. Steve yeah. Levitt. Steve Levitt. Yeah, and for, and for you Steve alumni. and I wrote it together because we both struggled with it. And yeah. I think we made like $20, $30 off, <laughs> off all the sales of the books. <laughs> uh, and for you and alumni that haven't been here recently, Steve actually comes and teaches at the yes, Institute now as well. And um, uh, we'll continue to provide those resources. But would really encourage you, we'll put this on our website uh, at kennecuckinstitute.com backslash resources, but we'll put the link uh, to Tom's book there on Amazon. Really highly encourage you to check it out. And uh, and also there's other resources of Tom speaking on YouTube and other places on this particular topic, which we know you're facing, uh, not only in your own life potentially, but also in the ministry you're carrying out every day. So Tom, thank you for taking the time. Keith, as always, thanks for being with us. We'll catch you next time here on the Canna Cook Institute podcast. Mm-hmm.